Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was uh, grateful for the children presenting and company and um, grown-up children uh, presenting to us the the gospel narrative of John the Baptist, because in the reading today from John, we get none of that information. (laughs) There's no locusts and honey. There's no calls for repentance. There is not a camel's tunic in sight. Instead, John has one job, just one role. John bears witness. He is the one who points to Jesus. Here is the Lamb of God, (laughs) he exclaims. This is the one who takes away the sins of the world. John describes a scene where Jesus comes down to a river, to a mikvah for ritual purifying, but something unusual happens. John sees the spirit descend like a dove, and a voice speaks to him. He on whom you see the spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Uh, This whole week, I've been thinking about John as a witness. A witness he offers to the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And we all know about witnesses. They swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help them God. Books and stories and testimonies offer witnesses. They recall events and preserve testimonies and stories. This week, I listened to a talk by an Orthodox priest named Father Constance, who talks about another witness in icons, in religious paintings. And in this talk, he was explaining that icons are visual and artistic forms of theology. And through icons, we encounter in dialogue with the sacred. He cautioned us not to think about icons so much as works of art, but as works of witness. And icons become a witness as they offer these doorways into spiritual places and passages of encounter. And so with John the Baptist in mind, I went looking for these witnesses over the week to find the doorway to the Holy Spirit who's spoken about in John. The Holy Spirit is all over this baptism narrative, but it is notoriously underrepresented and underconsidered member of the Trinity in sort of our Christian theological world. Spirit is just often an afterthought um, or just reduced to a function. The Holy Spirit binds or holds or emanates or gives power. But what else? Who is she? And how can we be welcomed through a doorway of art into encounter? And what will we encounter of the presence of God who we know through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus Christ? 
And so today's sermon is three different encounters, three different doorways to the Holy Spirit. Two are formal icons, one traditional, one contemporary. And the last one is actually a dance that we're repurposing for the images of water and spirit. The first image that we'll see today, and you're welcome to put that up, um, it's called theophany. Um, this sort of making God presence, revealing God. And this icon has been drawn and written hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And I invite you to look at it now and to tell me what you notice. What do you see in it? What do you discover about the Holy Spirit from this icon? And I'll give you a minute or two to look at it and then we'll share what we see. What, what do you notice? What do you see? Uh, that Jesus appears to be in motion. He's not in a passive posture, but looks like he's walking. Yeah, and, and above the water, right? Do you notice that Jesus is not, um, it sort of is walking on the water. And uh, in this way that the, the writer wants to communicate to us that even though Jesus is baptized in the water, actually all of creation is baptized in Jesus. Um, what else do you notice? Start with Janet and then go to Melissa. Um, I see the universe in John the Baptist's robe and that Saturn is at the bottom and then the, all of the stars, the whole universe. The entire cosmos, all creation. Thank you, Janet. So see, usually you think of the baptism water as coming kind of down from a vessel and being put over, but this water is coming from above, which... I think about once it it will flow over Jesus and into this river that is moving and will continue. I see the the crowd; they're all looking in different directions. Which isn't that a crowd? No one's focused on the same thing. Yeah. So this interesting connection that feels very much like John, right? That the it's this Jesus is really what matters here is being baptized by the spirit, right? Um, and that this, what, and that the spirit flows down into this Jordan river. And I'll just point this out while we're here, that these two mountains sort of represent the, um, the earthly kingdom and the heavenly realm, because these are angels and they have their hands covered as sort of a sign of respect. Um, that's sort of where this image comes from. And so this divide between them is overcome. Um, this Jesus becomes this bridge through the Holy Spirit from the um, eternal world and the earthly world are brought together in Jesus Christ. Was this something, David? So I see, I see angels because they have wings on the right. And then the guy on the left that's down in the water doesn't have a halo. Um, and I think that might be Satan cast down. And Jesus has a sick pack. Yeah. So we'll talk about these 
So in, um, in the Bible, especially in the Hebrew Bible, rivers and waters are like places of chaos and often places of evil. Um, can sort of associate this with the fact that the Hebrew people were not a seafaring people. And so water was often symbolic of death. Um, but there's also all of these um, uh, personifications of rivers in the Bible. He caused the seas to flee, right? Um, sort of these giving these human characteristics. And so the waters that represent both chaos, maybe like Leviathan, like the sea serpent, um, are also under Jesus's feet, right? This, this sort of um, like uh, stepping over death and destruction. So back here. I was just going to say that I noticed um, like that there's very hard places and soft places and that Jesus is in both and that the spirit is in both the, the hard rock of everything uh, and river of everything, but also in the, the tenderness. Um, the last piece, David actually mentioned the great um, ab days that Jesus has been having. Um, but yeah, this very idea that Jesus is beautiful um, and Actually, this is probably a little bit later because in most of the very earliest icons of the theophany, Jesus would be naked, um, both as a sign of the fullness of his humanity, like his willingness to put on human flesh um, and his vulnerability to the world, um, and also that Jesus becomes a second Adam, whereas Adam was naked and ashamed, now the second Adam is fully enfleshed, a full body without, without shame. So in this icon, we encounter another act of witnessing because it's here that we see that the spirit is the one who bears witness to the scene. It is the spirit who makes an account of, oh, I'm sorry. Can you go back to the first one? Still on the image one of the, Love between the father and the son is witnessed by the spirit. And it turns out that what happens is when someone witnesses, they tell people what they've seen and what they've heard, and they attract other witnesses. And we as observers of this icon are also witnesses now to the love of God between father and son that we are invited to participate in forever um, in our baptism. We watch and we talk about what we've seen and how a perfect love bridges the divides of our broken world. You can put up the second icon now. Uh, this is the second icon and I'll move out of the way so you can see this a little better. Um, the second icon is a contemporary doorway a contemporary take. Um, this was written by a Ukrainian artist named Ivana Demchuk. I wish Yuri and Monica were here to cor correct that pronunciation. Um, when she was 25 years old. And she writes these icons um, onto the walls of church buildings. She writes in the traditional format of Byzantine and Orthodox icons, so you'll still see that they're flat, two-dimensional figures. You can even see she's preserving many of the symbols, and we can talk about what we see in common. And she adds these modern elements, 
And she offers us a new doorway to walk into in this encounter. So thinking of the first icon, looking at the second, what do we learn about the Holy Spirit? How do we encounter the Holy Spirit in this icon? Take a few minutes to look at the icon and then we'll share with one another. What do you notice? What is the same? What is different? What else does this icon call forth in you? Well, um, whether or not this actually is the case, it kind of looks like an, an aerial photograph or something. You can at least scan it that way, like a landscape with a riverbed running through it or something. Except, of course, the one thing about it that isn't like an aerial photograph of someplace on Earth is it just stops. It's not continuous. There are these white spaces and not just, you know, an edge, but kind of little holes or eruptions of this whiteness opening up throughout. And that's where the angels are standing in the bottom corner. So again, we kind of have the the heavenly and the earthly realm. So my my first thought is it looks sort of like a rocky tundra somewhat. I mean, it just sort of looks, Jesus looks cold. I just want to give Jesus a little, little sweater. Yeah. Um, but it, Unlike the other one where it felt like Jesus was sort of in the center of things, unifying these two sides, it feels like a very personal moment between John the Baptist and Jesus, and the angels are sort of almost peeking, like they're not really part of the scene. They're sort of bearing, they're they're watching this, but they're not a part of it. Um, I noticed that in the other one where Jesus was kind of hovering above the water, this, he's seemingly allowing it i mean it's washing over him and i appreciate the imagery of um him allowing himself to be submerged and to be overcome by those the the leviathan the chaos um and i'm reminded of philippians that uh being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but became obedient to death um and so that's a, a choice that he made I was going to say that too, that Jesus is embedded in the chaos, it looks like to me. And uh, also just looking at, at all the figures, they're not white either. They're more, more of an, maybe an accurate depiction of a Middle Easterner. <laughs> yeah, just something interesting about um, icon writing is that um, whereas in Western writing, we begin, we add shadows. We were actually just doing this today in Zentangles. You start with a lighter image and then you can add pigmentation or add, um, in Byzantine icons, you actually start with a space of darkness and then you add layers of light onto it. So the base of it is, is dark. Um, and so however the shading you want to be depends on how many layers of lighter color you place on it. And this artist decided to stop that process very early. I was struck by the circles, the halos, and the perfect circle around the dove. Um, and the red contrasts with the, the black and white and merging into the gray and kind of the chaos. There's something very um, exact about that compared to the rest that's all kind of murky and, and um, chaotic. 
Yeah. Another sort of traditional feature sort of along those lines, if you look at the space at the top, which is sort of the place where God is, it's a half circle, right? So it's always sort of open um, to, to the presence of God above without sort of having to like nail down exactly where God is present. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate the chaos in this icon. And as Seth was saying, uh, appreciating Jesus being uh, willing to be washed over, but yet what occurs to me is the way Jesus has his arms crossed is that is also a foretelling of his death, as if he's almost in the grave in this picture. Uh, it's uh, it takes a while to study it, and I appreciate the other comments to help me see more that's more that's in there. Uh, uh, we we have an icon that that that, that came from Kiev, and uh, it's interesting how dark Jesus is in that icon. Yes, the whole icon's very dark, but the, but you know obviously his skin is very dark. And one more. So I know that this is not how it's supposed to be interpreted, but when I was a child in my hometown, there was a mural of um, an interpretation of God that was just like these black and white spots. So I always thought that it meant that God was a cow. Um, but <laughs> in looking at this, um, I know it's like supposed to represent chaos, but the the dark and the light of the, like all the swirls that take up the majority of the um of the picture, I feel like to me are a reminder of the fact that I always think about the Holy Spirit existing in like mountains and rivers and all the really pretty and beautiful and like wholesome things. But like, I feel like to me, this makes me think about all the ways that the Holy Spirit is in like what is darker and harder in a lot of ways to deal with. So, And once the artist makes a painting, it's yours to interpret however you want. There's no, there's no wrong answer. I appreciate that there is no clear separation of the earthly and heavenly realms. We don't see Jesus acting as a bridge in the same way. And I also noticed um, the spirit seems to begin to blend in with the waters and the rock. It's not exactly clear where it begins or where it ends. It's sort of all made of the same stuff in some way. Eugene Rogers reminds us that the Holy Spirit is often found resting on the material world. She rests on the waters of creation, in the waters of Mary's womb, on Mount Sinai, in the clouds of the transfiguration. The Spirit takes up and makes things holy. All the stuff of our lives, concrete stuff, material things, rocks and bodies, and homes, and plants, and animals. Jesus' baptism and our baptism is when we are also caught up in God's life. It's when we become participants in the endless love of God and Jesus. All that we have and all that we are becomes a gift. It is gift. And so the Holy Spirit is not only a witness, she is a witness who celebrates. She celebrates towards feasting and towards wholeness and to the rendering of all things holy.
Our final doorway leads us towards the Holy Spirit who offers us back our lives as a gift. Ama is a film by Julie Gautier. And instead of response, I just invite you to a minute of silence after we watch this short film. I think it's about four minutes. And I want to offer this poem that we will then sing after silence. It's the Antiphon for the Holy Spirit by Hildegard of Bingen. And it will ground um, what we see together. The Spirit of God is a life that bestows life, root of world tree and wind in its boughs. Scrubbing out sin, she rubs oil onto wounds. She is glistening life, alluring all praise, all awakening, all resurrecting. <laughs> 